0: Acts chapter 1, <clears throat> verse 4, and uh, this February, starting this February, we want to begin an exciting series on the book of Acts, and we kind of introduced it very quickly last week, but as we prepare for our church launch, <clears throat> we will be focusing on the, really the mighty work of God, or the mighty work of grace, the first church. And how, that how every miracle in the book of Acts was really God pleading to people about His awesome, glorious grace. And so, if we'll just turn to Acts chapter one, and if you don't have a Bible, um, the verses are up on the screen. Being assembled together with them, He commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father which he said, You have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And then I want to just hit a few verses here. I want to go expositionally through the book and just kind of clarify or talk about a few terms that some of you have been taught. Some of these terms might be new for you, but one of them is, what we would read here in the scripture about the spirit baptism or the baptism of fire. And this is going to be a little bit of a teaching and then, uh, but also uh, some preaching too. And so here in these verses that we just read is the fulfillment of John the Baptist statement that Jesus would baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire. Remember that in Matthew chapter three, when John the Baptist said, I come baptizing with water, but another will come and baptize with fire. Well, this is this moment in Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 1. And as as Peter is speaking as well in Acts 11, verses 15 through 16, Peter speaks of this event as having taken place at Pentecost, which is a short time later. And we see that this moment when the Holy Spirit comes, and the church is birthed. This is a beginning, the beginning of the most, one of the most amazing dispensations, which is the dispensation of the church. And when we look at the word baptism, um, there is just a few things that I want to say about it. And how many of you heard about that? How many of you have been baptized here, by the way? If you haven't, that's okay. But if you haven't been baptized, in May, we'd like to do um, sometime in May, I'd like to do a baptism. We just go, just have a baptism, and um, the ocean. Uh, we can yes. we can yes. choose yes. really where. Yes. Let's let's go to Corpus Christi. No, let's go to Cozumel, <laughs> <laughs> That'd be like a, that'd be an awesome yeah. trip, wouldn't it? I think if the cartel doesn't kill us there. <laughs> Baptize is a Greek word. Actually, comes from a Greek word, baptizo. Now, don't lose me here because whenever you say Greek, people are like, okay, and they start thinking about the Super Bowl. (laughs) Baptism means to fully immerse in all seven baptisms of the Bible. Um, In all seven baptisms of the Bible mentioned, um, it means to fully immerse. It's an absolute identification. And there is an interesting um, history to this word. I like history. When I hear a word... I like to go and figure out what's the history of that word, and what what does that word mean? Because I don't like to just accept the religious meaning of words. I want to kind of know what that means. And a man by the name of Nicander, who was a poet and 300 years before Christ, uh, wrote in Greek a poem, or wrote about, actually not a poem, but wrote a recipe about pickles. How to make pickles. My wife will like this because we just had pickle soup this week. And there's two, t- there's two steps in this pickle process. And I, he uses two different words in this Greek. And the first word he uses is bapto, which means you've got to take the pickle. And my wife can correct me here. It's the way the Greeks do it, I guess. But you take the cucumber. Did you know that pickles come from cucumbers? That was like a new thing for me. Back in the day, I got married, and my wife's like, I'm going to make some pickles. And she bought all these cucumbers. And I was like, what? I thought we need pickles. No, and cucumbers from... I'm from pickles. That's how neglected I was as a child. So you take the pickle and you put it or the cucumber and you put it in boiling water. And that's the word bapto, just to dip. It just means to dip and then after a, just a short time take it out. And that is not the word that we read here about spiritual baptism. Um Nick and later on says you got to take that and my wife can correct me or correct Nicander. Uh, you take that you take that cucumber that's been boiled, and then you put it in a marinating vinegar, right? It's not boiled. It's not boiled. Okay, Nickander did it. <laughs> so, for the sake of the illustration, we're going to go with Nicander do does it. Puts it in the in the vinegar, and he let the, lets it marinate there for just I don't know months, season, until it's ready. And that's the word baptizo right there. It means to be immersed into something. Where the, where the nature and the character of that which is being immersed is changed. This is what it means to be spiritually baptized. I think that when we look at baptism, you know, people can come into the church, and even though we're a team here and we're, we're having these team meetings, but someone could come into the church and, like, just be dipped into the boiling water. They can feel like, wow, that's just an awesome message, awesome people, great music, um, just a cool place, good good food afterwards, and it's just they're being dipped. And then they leave, and there's just been no, they've never received Christ as their personal Savior, and they've never understood what it means personally in their life. Then there is, the ne- and, and that's a process, you know, people come, to, people come to the church, and it could take some time for some people to get saved. I know Eduardo said he was going to church for five years before he got saved, right? And it, I mean, my wife, I mean, other people would come to church, and I know other people that have come to church and they're like, God's working in their life. And then suddenly, and I was one of them, then suddenly it dawns on on that person that I need to make a personal decision about Jesus Christ to receive his righteousness, not my righteousness, because that not, that's not going to work. Uh, his love, not my love, and his nature, not my nature. And when we receive Christ as our personal Savior, As I will speak about in a moment, that's the moment that we get put into something that's going to change our lives forever and change the nature of who we are. So this word baptizo refers to our union and identification with Christ more than water baptism. Now, remember in Mark 16, verse 16, it says, Jesus says something like this, believe and be baptized and you shall be saved. Sometimes people will take that word "baptize" and they'll include it in the package of salvation. Like you got to believe, put your, your trust in Jesus Christ, receive him as your personal savior, and then get water baptized. Then you'll be saved. But that's adding something to grace. That's adding something to the finished work. That's adding something to the work of salvation that Christ completed on the cross. Why? Because Jesus clarifies that in the next statement. What does he say? He says, he that believeth not shall be damned. Now, what's he saying there? He's saying that, he's not saying that he that is not being baptized will be damned. He's saying that he that believeth not will be damned. So we can always qualify that verse and verses like that with the understanding of just reading the whole context. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like Baptism is something that is not part of our salvation, but it's something that we do as an outward expression of what God has done on the inside, our our identification with Christ in Romans chapter six, when we were buried with Him and baptized with Him, him in, his, in His death. If you're not getting this, I'm gonna I'm going to talk more. I'm gonna keep talking about, it and hopefully it's gonna it's gonna get clear as we go on. God never commanded the baptism of the Spirit. God never. Jesus never said be baptized in the Spirit. Okay, and that is something that the, the Spirit baptism takes place at the moment when we believe on Jesus Christ by faith. Romans 8, 9, and other verses. When we say yes to Jesus Christ, we may feel it and we may not feel it. It's not necessarily something that we got to feel. Uh, different people have had different experiences. But when a person believes on Jesus Christ as their Savior, and for me, I had zero, I had no feelings. I, had none, I just was like, I raised my hand, you know, to receive Christ, and everybody's like, hey, how do you feel? You're born again now. And I was like, I was in the car driving home with my family. I was like, I don't think I feel any different. feel like i still have a sin nature and and it was later on when i began to understand my position in christ and who i was in christ and that's what the church needs to be talking more about these days who we are in christ Mm -hmm. not about what we are supposed to do because i i i think that if we know who we are in christ then we're going to know what we're supposed to do Mm -hmm. okay Romans chapter 8 verse 9 says that when you get saved, you're baptized at the same moment. You're baptized at that moment. So the Christian never repeats spirit baptism in contrast to repetitive filling of the spirit. What does that mean in Ephesians 5 verse 18? You'll have some folks that will say, uh, you've got to believe on Jesus Christ and then speak in tongues. Or you've got to believe on Jesus Christ and then prophesy. You've got to believe on Jesus Christ and you have to do somersaults or faint in church. Those are things that are added to The finished work, and that is not biblical from what we understand. So, Christ or God or the Word of God never commands you and I to be repetitively baptized with the Spirit, meaning it's not like I go every Sunday and I'm going to get baptized with the Holy Spirit and then have some amazing experience. That's a one time thing. And by the way, you are not a hotel. Jesus does not move in with his Holy Spirit and then move out because you did something wrong, he moves in and he's there. He moves in, and he camps out there. He moves in. And by the way, some people may say, well, you can't teach eternal security because then everyone's going to go and sin. You're going to give them a license to sin. But you know something? We don't need a license to sin because we sin anyway. When we are saved, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. I'm going to mention that in a second. But if we live in sin, guess what? We are going to get to know the backhand of God really quick on the, on the derriere in French you know, on the behinds, um, because God's grace is responsible. God just doesn't throw grace at a Christian and say, hey, you know, have a great life and see you later. That's deism. Okay, God saves us, and then he's a paraclete. He's walking right along with us every step of the way, and if we get off track, he'll put us back on track. God's not a God that's micromanaging your life. We have to understand the nature of God, and it's going to take some time. You know, if you're new and you're coming to these meetings, um, it's going to take some time for you to get to know the nature of God and for, for God to change things in your life. So don't get disappointed with yourself. Um, don't get upset or impatient because God has begun a great work in your life. So Christ, Christian the, the spirit baptism for the Christian is not something that is repetitive. It's a one-time thing. Filling is repetitive. And that's Ephesians 5, verse 18. So let's look at that for a minute for a minute what does the spirit what does the baptism of the spirit do and I noticed there's a Gatorade over there and Wes I just got that (laughs) I just got it just nodding me what that's for somebody posts on Facebook because it's a Super Bowl Sunday that is the coach does a good job right he gets doused with a bucket of Gatorade so if that comes anywhere near me (laughs) What does the baptism of the Spirit do? And I don't mean to be too technical here, but we've got to talk about this because it's the book of Acts. What does the baptism of the Spirit do? Well, the Spirit baptism always unites a believer to the body of Christ in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, which is the church. Okay, you can look at it like this. The Spirit baptism, the baptism of the Spirit, puts you into this amazing elite, universal, um, I mean elite in the universe, Uh, an amazing group of people called the beloved the church the favored ones the ones that have have poured great have grace poured out upon them moment by moment in Acts chapter 4 that means that when you and I receive Christ in Psalm 68 one of my theme verses we are no longer lonely we're put in a family we're put in the family of God can you imagine living in this world not being not belonging to a family or belonging to a group of people that are going to encourage you, that will build you up. That's why they go to Facebook, that's why people go to Facebook. And we all like when people like what we post. And I don't know about you, but when we post things, we're kind of like looking, to, does anybody like what I just posted? <laughs> like instant gratification. But in the body of Christ, it's another kind of edification. And this is, this is what happens when you and I receive Christ, we are put in the body of Christ. We were given the Holy Spirit in John 14, which is a different spirit in the world. Did you notice that when you got saved, your friends and life kind of changed, and people started looking at you differently or talking, and you weren't maybe even doing something different? I remember in high school when I made a decision that I'm going to walk with God and just live a a spirit-filled life, I just remember wanting to hang out with my friends, and they're like, Chris, you're different. Something's different about you. Uh, No, no, no. Everything's the same. Let's have some fun. No, you're making us uncomfortable. Something's (laughs) different about you. (laughs) Something in your life. And it was the Holy Spirit's presence in my life. And We are in the body of Christ. And this is where we belong. Because we belong here. This is where we need to be. This is where we need to be built up. This is where we need to come and get our encouragement and get challenged, too. Because when we get challenged, we're going to grow. And so look at it like this. Spirit baptism is me being put into the body of Christ in a position. And secondly, the sealing of the Spirit. Now, if you've heard of that before, right? The sealing of the Spirit, which is in Ephesians 1.13. And I'm going to get practical here in a second. Ephesians 1.13 and 14. The sealing of the Spirit also happens at the same moment. And at that moment, your body becomes the home of the Holy Spirit. Wow, that's pretty amazing, isn't it? God living in you, Colossians one. 27 and 28 God in you and in the book of Ephesians uh, over and over and over it says Christ in you when you receive Christ at that moment the Holy Spirit moves into your life Jesus moves in into your life God moves into your life and this is this is in second Corinthians 6:15. And 16 and Colossians 1 Now, what does that mean practically? One thing it means is have you ever heard people say um, You ever see in some churches and I'm not I don't knock other churches because I know God uses them, but You ever see on TV people casting demons out of Christians? Do you see that sometimes happening? Like, you know, uh, I know I'll never forget. I was in Chile Santiago, Chile. We were doing street evangelism and we were preaching and um, all the way across the street, like, I mean, on the other side of the street, it's like the size of Riley Fuzzle or something. And, like, on the other side, there was this, there was this girl in a little kiosk, uh, street kiosk, watching the whole thing. It was mime going on and everything. And at the end, she comes running across the street crying. And she comes up to me, and she goes, I, I, you know, I'm so afraid I don't want to go to hell. I I, you know my pastor tells me that I have a demon in me and I said well have you believed on Jesus Christ as your personal savior and she goes yes many many times I said I said you don't have a demon in you because in first Corinthians chapter 6 verse 15 and 16 it says how can an idol how can Satan coexist in the temple of the Holy Spirit that means you're sealed do you ever get a package in the mail that has your name on it and it's sealed Nobody can open that unless and only you can, right? How many have gotten packages, Amazon Prime, you know? <laughs> so I knew my new new thing. I like going shopping on Amazon because I don't need to leave the house and be in a be in a store, which is fun, but not fun. It's addressed to you. It's sealed for you. It's sealed for you. That means that you are a package that's sealed with Jesus Christ's name on it. And no one can open you, only Jesus Christ can open you. Isn't that awesome? It's like, kind of like being married, isn't it? It's kind of like like you belong to somebody, Satan can't open that package, and he can't look what's inside, you know? You ever, you ever get a package, and somebody's already opened it and looked inside? It's kind of, it's kind of, what do you, it's violating, violating right? It's, I remember living in Poland, and we had, um, at that time it was a communist country, we're just coming out of communism, And we were missionaries there. I was 22, 21, 22. We were doing outreach. We were were at the university. We were organizing these monthly events of outreach. Like we want to do here. Uh, We have an opportunity to do something in Conroe. Waiting to hear about it. Where Our band has been invited to do something in a park. So we're just waiting to hear about the details on that. But we would do this outreach. And we were certainly being followed and, and watched by the authorities. Because at that time, it was a police state. It was really like... You know especially Americans coming and and living in Poland, and so all of our mail would come in a plastic bag, all of it would be opened all the mail from the states that would come, you know checks that would come to us that we could never cash in Poland. It was funny. people would send us checks in Poland, you know like a personal check, and we're like starving to death because we have no money and there was no way to ca- there was no way to cash it so like all of our stuff was opened and it you know you you look at this open package and and you feel violated, you feel like this is Somebody's been in my stuff. And maybe is there stuff missing? You know? But that can never happen to the believer. Satan can't get inside of you. You are sealed with the Holy Spirit. Period. Can the devil oppress you? He can put pressure on you. Yeah, that can happen. Can the devil harass you? Especially in 45. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) You can be harassed by the devil. And we will talk about our authority at some other time as a believer. But... Let's go to Acts chapter 1, verse 6. So I hope it's clear that the spirit baptism, or the baptism of the spirit, or the baptism with fire, that happens. We teach here that that happens at the moment of salvation, and that there's not a second experience necessary for salvation. Is there a second experience? There can be. There have been times in my life where where I've realized spiritual truth about certain things, and that just sent me, I was just like, wow, that's so exciting. I didn't speak in tongues or anything like that, but I just had this amazing visitation from God, and it was just very beautiful. And that is called a filling. It's not called a baptism, okay? Is that clear? Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 7, it says this, moving on. Therefore, when they come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? I love this, because... We're like the disciples, we're like the apostles, aren't we? We're just asking questions about timing. When's this going to happen? What, you know, you're going to do this, God, or, you know, and we're, we all do it. And many times a lot of our prayers are based on that question. And he said to him, it is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. He's just saying it's not, don't worry about God's timetable because it's in God's authority. But in verse 8, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And I just want to talk about this for a few minutes. Because some folks don't understand that, that they think that this is... Some folks think that this is some mystical experience. This is some unknown thing. Um, what is this? What does this mean? And, and you shall be witnesses to me. I like how that goes. You shall be witnesses what? To me first. To me first, I've always loved that verse because evangelism or living the life of a missionary or being on this team here preparing to launch in a few in a a few weeks. It's not about me being a witness to people. It's me about being a witness to Christ first and meaning that I am walking before Christ testifying to Christ reciprocating back to him his promises his word and his truth You shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. There's a pastor, Pastor Mati Servio, and he's Finnish. Uh, He's a pastor that has done a lot of mission work in former or in in Muslim countries. And um, when he moved to Turkey to do a church plant there to Istanbul a few years ago, at our summer convention, we had different missionaries standing up and giving like a two or three sentence update about what was happening it was one of our services and he stood up and this is people were getting up and saying we did this we did that you know and this is what god did and he, he stood up and he just said this god has chosen to love me in turkey <laughs> that was his mission life i love that i was like okay that's that's what mission life that's what it means to be on this team like okay you might think well what am i doing on this team well you are a part you're praying you are just edifying the rest of the team and you're blessing you're blessing all of us, and you're part of this group that's going to give birth to a church in a few weeks. That's what it means. This is what we do primarily as a servant of the Lord. You know, we worship. We're in a place of worship so that God can love us in that time of worship. You know, Wes does that because, you know, he's in that place getting loved by God over in the corner there by the, by the, uh, by the controls. You know, all of, everything that we do, it's just primarily that God can love me in this process. Sean is counting, you know, counting whatever he's counting. you know, Numbers. He's, numbers. <laughs> As he's doing that, he's getting loved by God, you know. So everything in the book of Acts re- revolves around this verse in verse 8. Verse 8, um, verse eight is, is just really the center of the book of Acts. When we talk about the book of Acts, and I think sometimes some people may be afraid to talk about the book of Acts because there's miracles in there. There's signs. There's incredible things that God's doing, and it's kind of outside of our our box of God. You know, people may think, "Well, I'm a cessationist, and and I don't believe in miracles." But you know, although we do believe that at the end of the canon of Scripture, that you know that some sign gifts, you know, sign gifts are no longer being given as an office to people. Like you don't see. The, 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 the office of the healer or the office of the prophet being handed out at the end of the establishment of the first church by the Holy Spirit there can be moments where there, by the sovereign act of God God could do something miraculous and that's based on his sovereignty to build the body up and to get the gospel out and so we can, we're going to talk about the gifts at another time but when we look at the book of Acts the book of Acts is a historical book remember this, it's a historical book it's not, a, it's not a doctrinal book, although you do see doctrine in action in the book of Acts. And so sometimes when people try to derive their church doctrine out of the book of Acts, they kind of get lost a little bit. They get, their theology gets messed up. The book of Acts is a book that basically is stating, and I think it should be not the book of the Acts of the Apostles, it should be the book of the Acts of Jesus Christ, the work of God in, in, the, in the first church. The book of Acts is just a story about how you can't put God in a box and how God is moving in his first church. Everything revolves around evangelism and winning the lost and discipling people in the book of Acts. So after the ascension of Christ, the scene changes to the upper room prayer meeting. We talked about that last week, didn't we? Verses 12 through 14, where Jesus, where where the disciples are together, but I want to talk about something that sometimes people don't understand, and it's the latter part of chapter 1, and this is what I call the Matthias mistake. Remember Matthias? You know the story of Matthias in verses 15 through 26? Basically, they're in, they're in the upper room with all the disciples. Guess who's gone? There's, they're missing a disciple. Who was missing? Remember? Judas, Judas was Judas. missing, right? Judas committed suicide because he sold Jesus Christ out for 30 per- pieces of silver, which in the Old Testament, 30 pieces of silver was basically what you would buy a slave for. That's unbelievable, the book of Leviticus. It's just amazing. Judas sells Jesus out, um, betrays Christ, and then he is so overcome with remorse, like many times people do, they end their life, and this was according to Scripture. So there's 11 there. There is someone missing. And so Peter, moved not by the Holy Spirit, but moved by his own opinion, states that something needed to be done to fill Jesus' place. And this is what I like about the book of Acts. The book of Acts is is an honest book. It just tells you the way it is. And it's just telling you a story without buttering it up. Here, Peter, I believe, makes a mistake because Peter is not moved by the Holy Spirit. As you see later on in Acts chapter 2 and Later on, you see the apostles being moved by the Spirit. Peter says, "We got to do something." He sees a need, and he's moved by his own opinion, and he says, "We have to fill that spot." So there's a guy. There's two names: Barnabas uh, or Barabbas. I uh, know Barnabas and Matthias that were there, and so they cast lots. Now, casting lots was like, you know, there were like these stones, these pe- pebbles with like symbols and numbers on it, and this is in the Old Testament way that they would, de- they, would de- they would determine God's will by casting lots. It's like taking today dice, you know? you know, rolling the dice, you know, and throwing the dice and determining God's will that way. Or taking your Bible and just opening up and then the first scripture you hit, that's the will of God. Okay, that, is, that was the mistake that they made. They rolled dice for who's going to be the next, the next apostle. And that wasn't God's will because you never see Matthias's name ever again in the book of Acts. He's just not there. I believe that that place was a place that Paul was supposed to take. Paul was supposed to be there. And so let's go to Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all in one accord in one place. They were all in one accord in one place. I like that. You know, they were in the room, but they were all there in the room. You know, it wasn't like they had all their phones out, and they're all on Facebook. <laughs> I like Facebook. I'm on Facebook. But they were all in one accord in one place. They were all there in one place. And suddenly there came a sound of, from heaven in verse 2 of a rushing mighty wind. I want to just mention there that this word wind may not be the best translation because the word wind in the Greek is pneuma, Spirit so they're in this room and suddenly they're they everyone becomes very aware of the sudden presence of God in the room and like I think that God's presence is here I can detect the presence of God like when we were doing worship I detect the presence of God don't you don't you sense like there's a sweetness there's a sense of uh, adoration I was driving in my car here and I'm listening I was listening to a new song I think by Jen and Brian I don't remember I posted on Facebook I never heard these guys before and it was just um, called at the mention of his name and I think it's number two or three on worship together's new song list and I, I thought that's amazing that song just ushers in the presence of God and this is what can happen so easily is that you know when we are in one accord in one place one mind we're not perfect and maybe we don't do everything right maybe someone makes a mistake but it doesn't knock us out of being one in, in one accord. Maybe someone forgets something, you know, and, or maybe, you know, someone um, misses something in, 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 on the team bringing something in. Maybe someone forgot to bring the offering box, and it's here. It's not forgotten. But maybe someone forgot. We're still in one accord, aren't we? We're still moving together. We're not put out. They're in one place, and there is a, there's a rushing, mighty wind. It was just this amazing sense of the mighty pa- presence of the Holy Spirit and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. It filled the whole house. That meant like every part of the room was sent was filled with the. It's like the the fragrance of the Holy Spirit. You ever be in a room and then someone walks in and they got some really nice cologne on and or perfume, and you're like, you can smell it. You know how many? You know what I'm talking about? You can smell it. That's like the presence of the Holy Spirit. It's like everyone. You can't see it, but you can detect it. No one's not maybe say anything but they can detect the anointing of god and there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire let me explain to you what is that what's divided tongues of fire sounds like something out of chronicles of narnia or something you know basically what happened is is that they're in this place and this is the birth of the church this is the beginning of a dispensation a period of time in 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 history in the history of the bible that has been prophesied for hundreds and hundreds of years. This was a mighty moment. This was the moment where God, and I like to look at it like this. It's like, you know, and it's going to sound funny, but when you get married, it's like, I remember when we we had our wedding, we were like, you know, you know, we're at at the wedding, we're doing the whole thing. We're just wiped out because of so many details. And we're at our reception and we're just eating. And I'm thinking, I can't wait to get out of here and just go on our honeymoon. And I was like, I can't get, you know, and so I'm just thinking, like, let's just rush out of here. And I remember leaving, jumping in the car with my wife, and going to West Virginia for our honeymoon, and just that, that energy of going to the honeymoon, you know, that, that amazing, like, rush of getting there. Let's just go, and you know what I'm saying? You guys know what I'm saying? Like, this excitement, like, let's do this, you know? let's We're married, you know? And, and, and this is, I think, the way if we can think of the passion of God, wanting to come into his people, to come in and possess his people. It's like that honeymoon event in Acts chapter 2, where the Holy Spirit comes rushing in, like, finally, we've been waiting for so many hundreds of years for the work to be finished, for the prophecies to be completed, for Israel to be at this moment, and now, at this moment, I can come in and not just rest upon people, like in the Old Testament, but I can come in and possess and enter in. And so there's this fire that comes down, and it's like, um, and I, you know, I, I'm trying to imagine what it was, but it was just, this, it was like it was something like a fire that comes down, and as it comes down, it splits up into, um, it splits up into different, um, divides into different tongues of fire, and then, then, then lands on the, the disciples. These tongues are not some weird kind of flicker or flame, but it's actually the word tongue there, and today I don't want to talk about tongues necessarily because I want to do that later, but here tongues is a Greek word that points to a spoken language at the time, a spoken language like French, German, Polish, Spanish, it's a spoken language, and it's descending on these disciples, on these apostles, and that means that God was giving these apostles, why tongues? You know, the book of Acts is not primarily about tongues, but why was God using tongues or like languages or the capacity to speak another language they had never studied before? Because the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ, was so passionate about going, getting into people's lives and changing their lives for some incredible things that he was empowering his people at that moment, his apostles, with a message of the gospel of grace which was, this mighty, which was this mighty message of grace and so they are empowered and, and, each, and, and one sat upon each of them that's beautiful because God doesn't just anoint one person in the church I remember going to a church when I was a kid and there was only one person in the church that had that one certain gift and they, they were the only one that was allowed to exercise that gift you know This was divided. This was God was giving gifts in Ephesians 4, verse 8, severally as he would. And they were all filled, in verse 4, with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Just a quick historical context here. Pentecost, and I want to talk again maybe next week about this more, but Pentecost was a time of year in the Jewish calendar where all... Jewish males needed to, were required to be in Jerusalem for this, for this event, for this feast. It was an event that, where there were Jews that were spread out amongst the, the Greek-speaking kingdom, Roman, kingdom uh, Roman Empire at the time, or the, not Greek-speaking Roman Empire, but the Roman Empire where there were a lot of Greek speakers. And many of them were, some of them were Ethiopians, some of them were from Iran, Persia, Others were from, you know, other parts of, of North Africa. And they all show up to Jerusalem at this, at this moment. That means there's hundreds and thousands of Jews there of different colors, different ethnic group groups, different uh, persuasions, different lives uh, with their families and different languages. And a lot of them didn't speak Hebrew or Aramaic. And so at this moment, God empowers the disciples to preach and God gives them, the spirit to preach the message of the gospel. And I want to talk about this later, but the point I want to focus on is they were all filled with the spirit. Luke always connects the filling of the Holy spirit with the proclamation of the gospel, the filling of the Holy spirit, the purpose of that filling of the Holy spirit, not the baptism of the spirit, but the filling of the spirit was to preach the gospel. Barclay says this, that no great decision was ever taken. No important step was ever embarked upon by the early church without the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Let's go back to verse 15 for a second. What happened to, to Peter? He was not being led by the Holy Spirit and making that major decision, who's going to be the 12th? Because he did that, when Paul shows up, no one no one is really accepting him as an, as an apostle. Filling of the Spirit before Pentecost. I just want to quickly say, how did God fill people in the Old Testament? Well, we can read that Old Testaments experienced this temporarily because... Sin had not been paid for in the flesh in Romans 8, verse 3. That means that the Holy Spirit would descend like on on Saul. He would descend on Saul, and Saul would prophesy. But the Spirit would leave Saul, remember? And something else would come in and and harass him and terrorize him. Um, Other, you know, Moses had the Spirit of God descend upon him, and he would prophesy, and he would do miracles and wonders. Filling with the Spirit before Pentecost in the New Testament... In John 20, verse 22, do you remember when Jesus blows his breath on his disciples? He breathes on them, and he says, receive you, the Holy Spirit, when he said that. That was a temporary empowerment for the ministry that was temporary, because the Holy Spirit had not come down yet, and sin had, and sin had not been paid for in the flesh. And so Jesus, even in that, at, that, at that time, was empowering his disciples for the ministry. And so after Pentecost... I just want to mention here that an individual Christian can now experience it many times. God can fill a person with His Spirit on numerous separate occasions. I know some of us may know this, but we know that the, whole, the, the Bible mandates or commands us to yield to the Holy Spirit and walk a Spirit-filled life. Why am I on this subject? Because, you know, the last few days, maybe the last couple of weeks, I've just been amazed at how much and I'm not thinking of anyone in particular, but I'm just thinking in general like my, 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 about myself, how much I can do or how much we can do without the filling of the Holy Spirit. It's incredible. <laughs> you know, when, we have, when we're talented in an area, we have to be very careful because it'd be so easy to lean on that talent and not trust God for the filling of the Spirit. That's why that God will gift a person with a spiritual gift and not necessarily gift them in the area of their talents. When you have a spiritual gift, many times you have to exercise that gift by faith, because it's not a natural talent. And that's why we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so being spirit-led, and I'm gonna coming here to the ends, being spirit-led. Being filled with the Spirit means that every morning I come to God and I say, God, my life is not my own. I'm bought with a price. Um I've been purchased with the precious blood of Christ. I'm no longer my own. Lord, I surrender my will. I surrender my opinions. I surrender my emotions. I surrender all of my temptations. Many times we're dealing with we're we're fighting temptations and that's not even God's will. God's will is not for you to fight temptation. God's will is for you to su- submit to God in James, the book of James, and the devil at that point flees from you. You know, if we're struggling with temptation, you know, and that happens all the time. We're always being, there's stuff that's always coming to our way, and it's, you know, and, and, um, you know, and, and there's that opportunity to live in temptation. Instead of you and I rolling up our sleeves and saying, I'm gonna battle the devil now, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna win, I'm gonna win this fight against the devil, just surrender to God. And when we do that, the Holy Spirit fills us and begins to control us. And, To the measure that we allow the Holy Spirit to control us is a measure that God leads us, okay? Yielding to his direction in our life. I just think that our greatest prayer is that we would be led by the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, and just be directed by the Holy Spirit. And that's why, that's why, like, that's why I'm not, I'm not, I'm not disappointed or I'm not discouraged or I'm not frustrated when God says, you know, I want to move a little bit in this direction because um, this is the way I'm directing. Um, so grieving the Holy Spirit in Ephesians 4 verse 30, when we sin, we take control over our own soul. And we con- but when we confess our sin, the Holy Spirit again controls the soul. When we sin, we're grieving the Holy Spirit. First John 1 John 1.9, it says, If we confess our sin, then he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin. Um, what is confession? When we sin, it's so important that we immediately confess that to God. Confession means basically saying the same thing that God says about that. Just saying, God, you know what? Your Bible says about this, that this is wrong. And I agree with that. Confession is not beating ourselves up. Confession is not promising that we're never going to do it again. Confession is not um, adding some kind of fleshly program where I can appease my conscience because I feel so bad. Whenever we sin, we feel so bad, don't we? We're like, oh, okay, I got I to rectify that. You know, I got to do something. And it's like, at that moment, the Spirit of God is grieved in us because we're living in guilt instead of conviction. And the conviction of the Holy Spirit is when God says, that's wrong. This is what the Word says about it. And I just need you to acknowledge that in my presence in Psalm 51. Just acknowledge. Uh, David said, I acknowledge my sin to you. And when we do that, when we do that, we're cleansed. And when we're cleansed, we're in a place where we can be, um, we can be filled and we can be back on track in our calling. I'm just going to... Um, What grieves the spirit? What grieves the spirit? I think it's so easy that we could grieve the Holy Spirit. I like the example of a dove. Um, They say that doves, and the dove is the picture of the Holy Spirit. The dove is such a sensitive bird that it's been known to tremble in the presence of a feather from a vulture. It's such a sensitive bird. And I think that The Holy Spirit in our life is so sensitive and can so easily be grieved. Because in Acts 1, verse 14, the apostles are together in the upper room in one place, in one accord, and they're not grieving the Holy Spirit. Um, I just want to finish here with this. What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? I know we're going a little longer than we normally do, but I think this is important to cover. The Greek word for filling is plero, And it has four meanings. Number one, it means to fill up a deficiency in Colossians 1.25. That means it fills up a a deficiency. When I'm not filled with the Holy Spirit and I just step out into what I'm supposed to be doing, you know, in my ministry, in the body of Christ, I am serving out of deficiency. I am serving out of the need to be recognized. I'm serving out of my fear to be rejected. Or whatever our deficiency is, whatever our brokenness is, all of us have it. I have it. Every one of us in this room has a brokenness or deficiency in our soul, and if we are not filled with the Spirit, then I'm going to be, I'm going to be doing things in my relationships or in my ministry out of a deficit motivation, and that doesn't glorify God, and it's not powerful. And number two, it means to be fully possessed. It means to be possessed with, with the Holy Spirit. It means to be filled with God, and there's no other room for any other kind of thought. There's no other room for anything else in my life in first Corinthians chapter 6 verse 19 number three it means to be influenced in Galatians 5 verse 16 it means that I am being influenced by the Holy Spirit I'm not being influenced by peer pressure I'm not being influenced by people that are um, pushing me to do something or wrong expectations I'm being influenced by God and I'm being led by God and number four it means to be filled with a certain quality which is the nature of God I'm just filled with God and when people talk to me when they cut me when they talk to, when they you know, interact with me they're going they're going to meet Christ like they're not going to be meeting my opinions and my reaction and my flesh and my opinion about them they're going to be meeting God so yielding being kept by this yield being kept In Ephesians 5, verse 18, being kept and filled by the Spirit through yielding to Him. And I just make one comment here about chapter 5, verse 18, where it says, Be not drunk with wine, whereas in excess, but be ye filled with the Holy Spirit. I want to just make one comment, and I'll close with that. When people read this verse, I've had people say to me, well, and you see, drinking drinking wine, getting drunk, contrasted to being filled with the Holy Spirit. I want to make a few points about what I've understood, what the Bible says about alcohol, and I just thought this would be a good time to say it. Ephesians 5, verse 18, it says, be not drunk with wine where is an excess. That part of the verse is saying, don't be drunk. Don't get drunk, because that's an excess. But be ye filled with the Holy Spirit. I personally believe uh, total abstinence from alcohol, and I'll tell you why. Number one, it's in my family. Alcohol is in my family, and that's a door that I don't want to open in my life, okay? Uh, There's 75 Bible verses that tell us, well, that give us, and I can give you this information if you'd like. I can email it to you. 75 Bible verses that say alcohol is a negative thing, okay? Um, What Jesus made in the early chapters of the book of John was was not wine at that wedding because there's four or five different words in the Bible that described wine and alcohol <clears throat> and so what Jesus made at that time was not wine that you could be intoxicated with it was a it was a kind of a um, grape type of drink that was not fermented that was that was introduced it was a high quality drink that was introduced at the end of the wedding. I just want to say that um, that and I looked at this last night. It was, so, it was so interesting. But What does it mean to be drunk? How much can a person drink? And when a person reads Ephesians 5, verse 18, they say, well, I can drink until I get drunk. <laughs> and then not drink anymore, right? <clears throat> so that, good luck with that. Because um, <clears throat> when you're drinking, even a little bit, you're already not thinking clearly. It's uh, the state of Texas, and, and maybe you know this, but the state of Texas has a 0.08 percent um, alcohol level in the blood that equals for the police being drunk, right intoxicated. And then you get you can go to jail for that. The NTSB, the National Transportation Safety Board, wants to lower that to 0.05 percent. So I like numbers. I was thinking about this and I was reading about it, and that means a hundred pound woman could have one drink. Which is a 12 ounce beer, um, a liquor, um, or five ounces of of red wine, and legally be intoxicated. Okay, that five ounces is like that. Okay. So, furthermore, let's go. Let's drill down a little bit more. Furthermore, that the the the, uh, the magazine The Atlantic came out with an article stating that. Um, even if a person drinks, quote, unquote, moderately, less than 0.05%, they are still destroying brain cells. And so the question is that if a person drinks one, like, portion of whatever it is, they are already not only impaired in their, in their minds, but they are no longer I feel personally, and you can disagree with me on that, but I don't feel that at that point that they are just filled with the Spirit at that point because they're not living in a sober mind. And so if somebody drinks at home, you know, we're not going to march into their house and command them to throw away all of their bottles and whatever they're doing because that's not my place. I'm just here to preach what a, how I understand what the Bible says. When the Bible says do all things in moderation, that, ver- that actually is not a Bible verse, by the way. Um Bible verse is actually in the book of Philippians, it says, Let all things be done in moderation. And that verse has no reference to alcohol. So when someone says, Well, we can drink, but in moderation, I'd like someone to point to a verse in the Bible that says that. That's just, just just me. So I say, I say my life is great without without alcohol. I don't drink it at all. And I, I don't want to drink it because it it's not a question about my liberty, how much I can drink. And get away with it because that's not the way I want to think about things. I want to think it, I want to look at it like this. I want to look at it like it's not about how much my flesh can get away with, but how much can I be filled with the Holy Spirit in my life. One last story about this subject. When you, in Ukraine, and you know, in, in former Soviet countries, there's a lot of alcohol. It's crazy. They just, it's incredible the amount of mouth that they drink. And their they're, they're alcohol, their, um, what do they call it? Gorilka, which is, what is that called? It's What's the English word for that? Vodka. Vodka. You can clean engine parts with it. And they do that. They clean engine parts with their vodka. And whenever we'd go to somebody's house, it was always, <clears throat> always the same thing every time. We'd go visit people's house, and we'd go in there, and the first thing they would want to do is give us a little bit of their vodka, like a little cup, you know? And we we're like, nope, no, no thank you. And they were like, choot, choot, that's the Russian word for just a little bit. And we're like, no, nope, not even a little bit. And so me and the team there, we just kind of invented this doctrine called the doctrine of choot, choot. Like, no, not even choot, choot, not even a little bit. Because what happens is, is that when we go in there, and then, then the vodka would be put away, then they come out with something less powerful, like they're, you know, I don't know what it was, but something that they made themselves. They're making all kinds of interesting stuff over there. And that would be put away. And then... And it, and the, point, the reason why we did that was because if I as the pastor there drank a little bit, even a sip, just for like company's sake, what are they going to think later on? Well, the pastor drinks, so we can just go crazy. We can just drink, you know. It's like I think, and by the way, the Orthodox priests in Ukraine when they go from door to door to door to visit their parishioners, they drink it all. They're drinking <laughs> yes. every time they're given a little plate yes. with a few oh, yeah. bucks underneath and a little glass of vodka. And I have not—I have seen not more than I've seen more than more than once intoxicated priests making their way back home in the evening, back to their parish. It's so sad. So I just want to finish with that. I know this was kind of long today, but I wanted just to. Comment on these things so that you know where I stand on these things. And if you have any questions, and I welcome questions, please come and talk with me. Because when we're filled with the Spirit, in Romans eight verse one, we're not living in condemnation. We're not living in self-awareness. We're not living in self-questioning. We're living in the presence of God. We're living in the empowering work of the Holy Spirit, where God can give us wisdom and understanding for uh, our lives and our families and our marriages where God can move in our lives and do miraculous things because he wants to touch people's lives and we can live above the gravity of sin and death into the powerful calling of God in a missional life. Amen? Amen. Okay, let's close in a word of prayer.